And how do we bypass that skin barrier problem? Light. Light can go right past that skin barrier. It's not an ingredient. It's chemical-free. It's safe. So it's like good for the environment. It's sustainable. Hi, and welcome to Beauty Curious. My name is Dr. Elise Love, and I am a board-certified dermatologist. And I'm Ian Michael Crum, a licensed esthetician. Ian and I are excited to become your trusted beauty guides, from interviews with the best and brightest names in the industry to sharing our favorite expert-approved products. We are here to help you navigate the noise by giving you the facts. Are you feeling beauty curious? Let's dive into today's episode. Dr. Ellen Marmer is an internationally recognized board-certified dermatologist and Mohs micrographic surgeon, professor at Mount Sinai, founder of Marmer Medical, MM Skincare, and MM Spear, and author of Simple Skin Beauty, Every Woman's Guide to a Lifetime of Healthy, Gorgeous Skin. She is among the most respected and sought-out dermatologists in New York City, and she has pioneered many cosmetic techniques with injectable fillers that have led to clinical trials, publications, and FDA approvals. Dr. Marmer's intellectual passion is now to unveil the effects of photobiomodulation using LED light on skin, using translational research and artificial intelligence as clinical endpoints. She is also the first to study the effects of green LED on skin. Thank you, Dr. Marmer, for being here and welcome to the show. I am thrilled to be with both of you today. This is amazing. We're so excited to have you. Okay, so we are going to get right into it because... LED light is probably the thing that I get asked about the most on my Instagram. It's something that people, yeah, Yeah. people really want to be a part of it and to understand it, but they're also really nervous about getting scammed because these devices, they're either too cheap to believe or they're quite pricey and they're an investment. So let's just start with like the heart hitting questions. So when we talk about LED light in the skin, what do we know from the science that LED light is able to do in terms of promoting healthy skin and also helping with skin aging? Okay, so that's a vast, huge question. (laughs) So um, first of all, let's talk about LED light emitting diodes. And you can have them in your household overhead lights. Mm -hmm. They kind of power everything. And that's because diodes are a very cheap way of powering something. So LEDs were invented back in the 1950s and 1960s. And photobiomodulation therapy was started really by NASA looking at red LED light. And they weren't looking at skin. They were looking at growth. And they were looking for using red LED light in outer space to see if they could grow plants and have another form of food for us to yeah. grow in outer space. The story goes that the astronauts came back home looking really good. <laughs> and <laughs> so that. they said, oh, wow, does red LED light also help your skin? And they found, well, it helps your sleep, which makes your vital signs better. And maybe that's why your skin looks better. So I love the holistic approach to LED light and how we can think of it as really working on the visual centers of the body. And the two visual centers are your eyes and your skin. Mm-hmm. So they both have photo acceptors. And how do we use different wavelengths to improve our health using our brain and our skin? So the science goes back to NASA, and then it goes to blue light. And blue light has been shown to actually explode the acne bacteria on our skin surface. So it's FDA cleared to kill acne bacteria. And also we use it in our offices for 
pre-cancer. So that's the science between red light and blue light. And then purple is really just a combination of red and blue. Purple light is something that is used when you have acne blemishes. It can help reduce some of the inflammation and help those acne blemishes go away a little bit faster. But what hasn't really been studied that much in the skin is green light. And then that became sort of my passion is what is going on here with green light. And I know we're going to talk about that science later, but really here when we're talking about for people wondering what does light do to the skin, Dr. Levin and I have been using lasers in the skin all the time. And maybe you use lasers too, Ian. I I don't perform lasers, but I've had lasers done. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yes, yes, very familiar. (laughs) I can talk about lasers all day long. Lasers are meant to blow something up, right? So there's something called selective photothermal lysis. Like a photon is like turning into heat and blowing something up in your skin. So if you don't like a blood vessel or you don't like a freckle or even wrinkles, it's like boiling the water around the wrinkle and making it better. But that's specifically using heat. LED is a non-thermal treatment. So it's using a photochemical reaction. And the photoacceptor in our skin cells is in the mitochondria. And most of our listeners took biology at some point, maybe in their lives, and they sort of kind of remember that word. Finally come in handy. (laughs) (laughs) That horrible memorization of the electron (laughs) transport chain. There are these little teeny, like if you think of a train with some cabooses or like little train cars in the mitochondria, it needs to go through each little car to make ATP, which is the energy in your cells to make your proteins and growth factors and keep your cells going. Well, the LED lights can hit different little cars in that train and turn on and turn off different things. So that's really the basic of what LED light does. It goes right into the mitochondria. It finds its different photo acceptor called a cytochrome, and then it modulates that and changes the ATP and then the outcome. And so different lights do different things. So it's kind of like a little train maintenance guy. Yeah, it is, exactly. Right, exactly. A little mechanic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like there's so much talk about mitochondria these days. I hate the word anti-aging, but like when we talk about aging and what contributes to aging, I feel like now mitochondria is becoming like such a hot topic. And you know what? It should. It's my obsession. Like the more you (laughs) learn about it, it's so interesting and the science is exploding. So it is true. Mitochondria are in all animals and all plants, but they're not really part of our body, you know? It's like a whole weird thing. Yeah, different genetics. Yes, exactly. So mitochondria are really interesting. And yeah, people should remember that as like the energy center to the cells. And this is a teaser, but later (laughs) on when we learn about what the green light does, we'll be really talking about that. So to kind of help set the stage before we super dive in, on the flip side, I know you just talked about a lot of these amazing benefits. Whenever... I get asked about it, then I think there's a lot of other concerns around LED. People think maybe it's hot or it's going to do something weird to their skin. There's just general confusion, especially on social media. So are there any potential downsides or side effects to using LED? The answer is yes and no. And that goes back into your question about the ones that are $29 versus the ones that are more expensive and how do you find the right fit. LED lights are tiny, so usually they're the size of an M&M. So one LED light is probably going to do nothing. They have these new, well, somebody invented and asked me to look into an attachable LED for your pimple. So like a blue LED on the dot. Interesting. Kind of cool. Yeah. Um, But it's a non-thermal reaction. And so does it hurt your skin? If you sit under an LED light all day long, it can 
maybe accumulate and cause more of a reaction than you wanted to? So the answer is always going to be like, yes. If you're taking photosensitizing medications, you should check first if it can be activated by non-UV light. That's a really important point, though. Yeah. LED light is visible only. Yes. And it's not infrared either. So it's different wavelengths and it's not sun, basically, when we say UV. So the other concern that I have is if you look in the ophthalmologic literature, and if you know one of the masks that was very popular, the Neutrogena mask, and this is in the press, it was recalled because it did cause ophthalmologic problems. So it did Mm -hmm. cause eye problems Ah. with the cornea. So it was the blue light was too close to the eye, and the eye was left with that glare close by for even a few minutes, and it would cause like little burns in the eye. So that's why you have to think about maybe a mask isn't actually scientifically proven to be safe for you. It is kind of weird sometimes to be putting something that close to your eye that Mm -hmm. that's bright. And so sometimes these panels or like handheld devices might be a bit better. And ours is something, the MM Sphere that you mentioned at the beginning is invented by me with safety and efficacy in mind. And so it's more like if you think of a dinner plate standing up in front of you, it's going to illuminate a wide field of your face, neck, and chest using 320-some LEDs rather than just one or two or three or four so that you're getting a broad field and you're getting a strong enough but not too strong of a treatment so that you can get a clinical benefit. That's like such a good point about the mass because I think sometimes— I mean, this happens in medicine in general, but obviously it's going to happen in the aesthetic space, the more beauty space, where one sector knows something and then the other sector either doesn't quite know it or doesn't realize that it's related to them. So, like, we know that blue light isn't good for the eyes, and that's why blue light blocking glasses are, like, such a huge thing. But it's like, should you be putting blue light that close to your face where it's also going to interfere with your eye. Yeah. When we think about light, we often think about UV light and we know the potential negative, but we also have phototherapy that we do in the office. And then lasers just like completely opens up this new world of light. So LEDs are visible light. And so one thing we know about visible light is that it can potentially worsen hyperpigmentation. Do you see that? Like, has there been any study looking at aesthetic devices being used, like at-home devices or even in office, looking at its effect on dark spots and hyperpigmentation? Should someone who's, like, aggressively treating that maybe avoid using LED lights? I have been asked this question a number of times, and my first response was, like, am I out of touch with, you know, like, <laughs> I have not heard of that. And then I was asked by one of the residents at Mount Sinai when I did a Grand Rounds on LED, and I've been asked by you. And <laughs> so I was like, okay, hang on, go back, check it out, look at the literature. There are some studies suggesting that blue light over time, especially from actually overhead lights yeah. and the screens. Mm-hmm. So if you're sitting in front of a screen for like eight hours a day, the cumulative effect potentially could affect your skin. So you mentioned in office, I know it was mentioned a bit (laughs) earlier in the episode, what is the difference between the blue light you mentioned in office versus if somewhere do you use a blue light sphere or mask at home or red light or any other, what's the difference between coming to a Durham office and having a treatment versus buying a device and using it at home? Okay, so it's a great question and I have some really cool science to talk about with that too. Well, first of all, when you're in the office, 
your assumption is that you're getting a stronger treatment. And you probably are if you are lying down in one of the LED beds and you're just like completely surrounded by LED lights, you're getting a lot of LED light. Hopefully it's spread out because you don't really want tons and tons of LED light in one kind of like focal point on your body because then it probably would somehow turn into a side effect that we talked about. And then the big blue U is that big kind of like a horseshoe shape of an LED and they're huge, huge, huge lights, very bright. The home devices are typically smaller, so you're just packing less punch. And instead of getting like one session in the office, maybe once a week if you're lucky for a month or twice a week for two weeks, you're getting treatment three to five times a week for like six weeks. And even some devices that you've seen that are very, very trendy right now require you to do 45-minute sessions using a handheld device for three months to get results, which I think the compliance factor is going to be really tough with that. That's daily or? Daily. Okay. But also, when I was inventing our light and I was working with some many engineers, I was looking at some of the really basic research that's been published. And there have been like two Nobel Prizes actually already given on LED light. This is important stuff. And LED light is being used for like Alzheimer's disease and liver disease. Like it's not just for beauty. So really, I think we are on to something important here. It's not just biohacking. It's actually important. One of the studies showed that continuous wave red LED was almost too much for that electron transport chain. It kind of got backed up, almost like a traffic jam. All the little necessary cascade of events kind of got jam-packed. So when they did pulsating light, it actually worked better on Mm. ATP production. So our light has a pulsating red light. It's a heartbeat setting, so it's really meant to calm you down and help anxiety and also help reduce the inflammation and zen out a little bit. So we're going to be learning a lot more about that. How do you deliver the amount of energy you need over a certain amount of time over a certain surface area? Would pulsating light be a contraindication for someone who has like a history of seizures or anything? It's a good question, too. I think it's a slow pulse. It's not a high frequency pulse, but I thought about that, too, and I think it's okay. Okay, so obviously every light has like a different protocol. So let's just talk about your light to have something concrete. So... If a user were adding this into their routine, what should they expect? Like, how often are they using this? Are they using it forever? Or is it something that they're kind of pulling out when they have an event coming up in two, three months or two weeks? How do you recommend? So again, compliance is a huge factor. And I think that one reason I wanted to invent an LED is because I did see the benefits of the big blue light. I was on the scientific advisory board for that company for years, 20 years ago. And I also, at the same time, was advising a lot of skincare companies like yourself or doing interviews with Vogue and stuff, all the newest ingredient stories. And as skin scientists were like, well, the epidermis is a barrier. It's not meant to absorb these ingredients. And so all of this marketing science isn't quite connecting with our science science. And how do we bypass that skin barrier problem? Light. Light can go right past that skin barrier. It's not an ingredient. It's chemical free. It's safe. So it's like good for the environment. It's sustainable. You're not just like doing chemistry experiments on your skin. (laughs) It's good for people who are just had a baby or people who are (laughs) nursing or... So let's circle back to your original question. Okay, so how do you use it at home? So compliance was something that I really wanted it to be part of. And creating a whole system is really important too because routine is really important. Not doing 
35 steps a day, which can be overwhelming, mm-hmm. but having something that just makes sense. So we invented skin serums that have all the things that I think you need in it, moisturizers, antioxidants, microbiome improvers, and photodynamic ingredients and things called adaptogens. Adaptogens are ingredients that kind of read your skin. So if you're flushing and stressed, your skin temperature might go up and that will activate these ingredients. So there's this whole kind of synergistic effect going on. The LED is meant to be used three to five times a week while you're multitasking. It's not something that you have to sit and do and take time out of your life, that it's meant to sit in front of your computer. Like we plug it into our computer with the USB and we're actually typing away and doing our emails. Oh, perfect. Our LED light has a platform that holds your cell phone. So you can be Instagramming <laughs> or totally wasting 20 minutes TikToking. Wow. Love that. Yes. Nice. So it's, it's really meant to be your friend, your buddy, your companion, not like some type of burden. You know, we yeah, all are so like burdened. Like additional things to do. Exactly. So beauty, it's really about health, really. It's like taking care of yourself. And then three to five times a week for six weeks is what our study was done with. And we did show statistically significant improvements using that translational medicine research and AI. It's a fancy way of saying we did photographic analysis of people throughout their beginning, middle, and end of the study and used it against these databases that measure aging. So pore size, wrinkles, textures, redness, hyperpigmentation, and then quantifying all the changes and giving you an analysis of your skin change over time. And we showed that after using the device three to five times a week for six weeks, it reduced your skin age by four years. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's an amazing selling point. Now, this was for women (laughs) over the age of 40. I wanted to prove also that you don't have to be 28 and perfect to start with. Like it was people who are living very busy lives and maybe drinking a little too much wine. Real people. So these are real clinical studies. But I was so thrilled to find that data because I was one of the patients. (laughs) I was like, oh, four years younger. So that was really cool. So then okay, do you drop it after six weeks? Like, are you done or do you just redo it? So most of us do something great for six weeks. We continue the serums and then we'll get back to doing the light maybe like four times a year. We'll do a six-week treatment. I love quarterly treatments. Mm -hmm. And I think also events can be helpful because I'll sometimes tell my patients for things with like low downtime, like, oh, we'll just do it before an event. And then, especially if you live in New York City, there's so many events throughout the year that you've essentially done it four to six times throughout the year and you've gotten that like boost of anti-aging, but you also feel like you were motivated to do it. I do that with shopping. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, I need an update. Oh no, I have this, you know, I go, I'm like, okay, yes, yes, yes. I think the event thing is really key because I mean, I feel like when I do facials, it's normally mostly for people that have events coming up. So that's like always give someone something to look forward to, like, oh, I need to look really good for this. And then it helps people stay motivated to actually, like, do the compliance of actually following through. I bet you give the most relaxing facials. Do you do, like, ASMR? Like, you should just talk. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, but that's a good idea. Okay, so (laughs) kind of going back, we just talked about frequency, compliance, do it for six weeks, then maybe this every quarter. I love that plan. But you just gave yourself four extra years in reversing your skin age. Do the results go away after a while or what does that look like? I think it accumulates. I think that your skin texture, your 
wrinkles, your redness, it kind of gives your skin a break from some of that inflammation. And can I dive into our scientific results? Go for it. Okay. So the way we did the study was each person is its like own entity, right? So we're all biologically unique. And sometimes you look at studies and you're like, wow, that looks amazing. But then you start to like break it down. Like, oh, they only use 20 patients and they're all this skin type. Every and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so what we did is five patients with different skin types over the age of 40, and we treated only half of their face with the green LED and the other half with no LED. And we took actual biopsies of their skin. So they let us take the size of your pinky fingertip from the cheek of the treated side and the cheek of the untreated side. And then we sent those biopsies to Rockefeller University and the New York Cornell Translational Medicine Lab here in New York. And they took mRNA and they reverse transcribed it to cDNA and then made this genomic amplification of each person's genome and then compared themselves to their treated to untreated side. So basically you're not saying like, I'm going to compare myself to Dr. Love. It's really like within this human, were we able to turn on and off certain genes and what did it do? Now, I mean, I did a research study like this about 20 years ago at Mount Sinai where we looked at drugstore brand serums compared to super expensive serums on 90 women. And we did the same biopsies, but It was so hard to analyze that amount of data at the time. Now, with genomic amplification, you get a massive, like millions of points of data, but they have these things called canonical libraries. So canon being like when you went to college and you had to study the canon of literature, like a set pathway of literature. They have that now in biological analysis. And so what they can look at is not just one isolated gene, for example, they look at a whole pathway. So what's the whole like 25 steps it takes to make collagen? What are the 25 things it takes to reduce inflammation? And they looked at a whole library of these molecular pathways, and we found six that were multiple levels of statistical significance. Hmm. So not just borderline statistically significant, but multiple levels. And so we threw out all the stuff that could be potentially distractors and just looked at these. And then that's where we found the increase of mitochondria in the fat in the skin. And that's Ah. called browning of white fat. So there's different kinds of fat in the body. And we learn about brown fat, especially in babies. They're like really metabolic and like they're little engines. And then as we get a bit older, that that's more of white fat. So when you get browning of white fat, you've actually just increased the number of mitochondria in that fat. And that means that you've increased the energy production. Whoa. That's, that's really cool. cool. That's actually like making you younger. Yeah. It's like actually mind-blowing. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> what? I did not expect that. You could have paid me a million bucks. I would have never even known what to ask for that. So that is a blind study, you know, like this yeah. is like really the researchers <laughs> that found this. The second thing they found also blew my mind was an upregulation of the retinoic acid receptor. Mm-hmm. So the green light was activating retin-A receptors. Which we all want. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So that's like basically normalizing your skin and kind of boosting your skin. So I was really happy about that because I have really sensitive skin, rosacea, and I've never been able to use retinol my whole life. So here I am, like my green light is working. When I overdo my green light, I feel a little bit of stinging sensation. And Mm. I wonder if it's something through that pathway, Mm. like I'm overdoing the retinoic acid pathway. 
The next thing it did is it reduced for us inflammatory pathways. So three big pathways, it reduced the TH17 pathway, the IL-17 pathway, and the crosstalk between T-cell, like dendritic cells. Those are all bad inflammatory pathways that we've implicated in psoriasis and eczema and things like that. So it was statistically significantly down-regulating those pathways of inflammation in the skin, which I think is amazing. No, that's so fascinating. Do you recommend this for patients who have rosacea or eczema on the face or eczema Yeah, so as like, right. So within our kind of like Hippocratic oath, I wouldn't be able to say scientific, like marketing science would be like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Medical science would be like, hmm, it's suggestive, right? We have, here we have something that could augment our medications. So very frequently we have our young people who have pustular acne who are kind of over scrubbing and hurting their skin with a lot of benzoyl peroxides and their skin is so unhappy. We want to bring them back into balance and we use our aloe-based serums. We give them prescription medications that are necessary and also the blue light. For teenagers and college students who are so distressed by terrible acne skin, it's so upsetting. We've been able to transform their skin within two months or so. And then they are super compliant too because the light is technology. They love it. The blue light also, like we talked about earlier, improves alertness and memory, and it's actually a steady aid. So that really helps center them, and they use that. And then at night, they use the red light so that they stop picking because it's an Mm anti-anxiety treatment. Ah. So it's really been helpful for acne at home. I love that. So related to all the things that light does, is it an overlap between the light that's used for like seasonal affective disorder? Yeah. Our light has all the different colors. So you're buying one device that has the amber, and that's for the seasonal affective mm-hmm. disorder. The green, which is really for the pro-aging, and the blue, which is for the anti-acne, anti-precancers when you're using it with proper medications. The red that is calming down inflammation and for wound healing and improving collagen, so improves complexion and also helps with your peace of mind. So you get all in the purple, which is just a blend of the blue and red. So you're getting all of those colors in one. So when we were looking for manufacturers for this invention, the number one worldwide demand for LED is amber light. That makes sense. Yeah. So people with seasonal affective disorder who feel a bit depressed or melancholy when there's not as much UV out, the amber light releases endorphins in the body as if you're in the sun without the UV damage. And so it kind of gets people alert. And actually there's a bit of an overlap because green and amber are very close together on the spectrum. So green also can help energize and bring you up. Your mood gets elevated. So I love that about the light. I've noticed in our patients, just anecdotally, that the amber light also improves radiance and moisturization. I don't know Hmm. why, but I think the endorphins improve a rush, almost like when you're getting a facial, like you're improving the circulation and then the lymphatics of the skin. And I think that actually helps with the moisturization. It's like being in love. Yes. (laughs) I do want to like come back to, because I feel like you actually mentioned so many amazing things. I just want to note to the listeners, doing a skin biopsy is a gold standard of how we can look at changes in skin. Most people don't do it because it's like heavy science. It's procedural. So you have to kind of have buy-in from the people who are enrolled in your study that they trust you and they're not worried about you disfiguring them. But it really allows you to do a lot of data and it's all objective because A lot of times when people say that they've done a clinical study, it's 
they give something to the subjects and then they give them a survey afterwards. And they're like, how do you feel? And they're like, I think my skin looks better. Whereas this is saying objectively, what is the difference? And there's nothing that you could say that would bias the results. There's nothing that the people enrolled in the study can say to bias the results. So if you ever see that with a product and you see positive results, then you know that they definitely are real. The other thing is I know people are going to want to know what was the results of your over-the-counter versus expensive skincare. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, circling back to that, I should say that all of our studies were IRB approved, which is the highest standard of ethics and scientific levels. And I really felt like I wanted to bring that to beauty because our skin is an organ. It's our largest organ of our body. It's biological. It's physiological. It's so important. And I think sometimes beauty and skincare, they take the approach of makeup. Like they're just like, we're going to like put stuff on your skin Mm -hmm. as if your skin is just not alive, you mm-hmm. know? And I really wanted us to have some really good science that I would feel comfortable standing in front of you and telling you, like, I really believe this. I mean, I could be wrong, but this science proved it, right? Yes. So you're right. We couldn't bias that. Oh, yeah. The Cosmeceutical Study, it's such a great study. And actually, Procter & Gamble, we're so impressed with the study that they actually gave us a $100,000 grant to help with this study as wow. well. And we did provide them with our data. But I have to say, I did work with the genetic and data analysts at the time. And I just felt like we could still bias the outcome because there were no programs that we could just plug in our wow. data to. Like we were creating the programs to analyze the study at the time. So I actually didn't publish that because I felt like it wasn't 100% blind if it was still part of the data analysis. I like that integrity. (laughs) I'm so sad because it was such a cool study. But we did provide the data to other people. Maybe they could start an algorithm where it was actually really good integrity. But what we did have were photographs. So we did take photographs throughout the study of patients, and we did a blind analysis of the photographs. So clinically, Patients did improve, and actually it was the Olay brand that they did look better with, I have to say. I don't even know if it's been discontinued since then. So we did see that things were upregulated and downregulated, meaning the skin was manipulated by ingredients. So we felt like, okay, we can say now that active ingredients do something in the skin, whether or not they're penetrating the skin or they're communicating through the skin barrier, which I believe they could. I really think like if you think about your cell phone and you can take a picture right here and send it to Japan, you're not sending the photograph physically to Japan. You're sending information that gets like packaged and sent. So I think our skin is like that. My belief is that our skin barrier has integrity. It does have channels and stuff like that. But I do believe something that's been sort of like under discovered is how do things on top of the skin communicate through the skin constantly and create that biological change in the skin. Olay is doing this thing on TikTok now where they come up to people and they say like, what cream are you using? It's oh, they are expensive. Doing that. And they replace it with the Olay, and then the people are super happy. That's great. I'm glad to hear they kept going yeah. with it. <laughs> For our listeners, I know that's like a lot of science, which I love, but it is a lot. But the main takeaway sitting here talking to Dr. Love and Dr. Marmor is Dr. Marmor is like clearly respected and <laughs> does her cross checking and all the studies. So that's 
very exciting. And I love, I love listening to this conversation. <laughs> Thanks. I do have to say my best friend who's known me forever. And I just think by osmosis, she should understand dermatology asked me like, yesterday. She's like, what is collagen? I'm like, oh my God, are you serious? Like, okay, wow. I really do need to stand back a little bit and say like, okay. And I even asked people in my office today, I was like, do you guys even know what collagen is? They're like, well, I know I'm supposed to have it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have a whole podcast episode on collagen that everyone should listen to. Okay, good. No, it's so true. My husband does that all the time. And I just like, it's nice because he's like interested in skincare, but I also just like hang my head because he will ask the simplest question. I'm like, I can't. So I want to give people, I want them to feel like empowered now because I feel like everyone's into LED devices. They've just been like a little shy. So if someone were interested in purchasing an LED device, what are the things that you would tell them to look for in a device and or avoid in a device or be hesitant about in a device? Great question. I think safety is really important. And Mm -hmm. when we get FDA clearance, it's called a 510K. You have to submit all these safety studies and it costs a lot of money. I mean, like over $100,000 to get your device safety tested. And they're looking for, it's called like electronic noise. Like is the plug going to cause a burn or is it going to do something bad and, you know, all the kinds of stuff. So it really does have to be 510K cleared and the company really should be a trustworthy company. So everything you see online may not have gone to that level and they might claim that they did. So maybe do a little bit more research or at least feel like you really trust the company that you're buying it from. I do believe that buying it from somebody who knows what they're talking about does matter because having gone through this process from drawing it out on a piece of paper to selecting the energy platform, selecting the surface area, the type of LEDs, we even have a safety filter over the glare so you could never get a glare problem from our LED light. Like, The quality, all that stuff really matters. There's a lot of thought and development that goes through it. So I think having like a dermatologist or a laser company be the ones who've done it, not maybe somebody who says they're a scientist or who's really like a influencer, no offense, but like, no, no, you know, no. Yeah. there are people who slap it's their names on right things. Now. Yeah, exactly. And I think like I get approached online every day from companies overseas where they're like, we have this mask, you could brand it. We have this, you mm-hmm. could brand it. Like you don't know what is in that device. You don't know how it was made. You don't know what plastic you're sticking on your face and touching yourself with, like, you really have to be careful. It is something that's going to affect you because they do work. So anyway, I would say sort of do a little bit of due diligence, kind of try to trust your source and it shouldn't feel like anything. Don't overuse it. Do it as instructed and then know thyself. If you're not going to use something 45 minutes a day for three months straight, then you're probably not going to get the before and after photos that they have online and maybe don't always trust all the before and afters. (laughs) So have realistic expectations. Know why you're getting it. Know how to use it in your lifestyle. Know how, what your product should be that you're using it with and have it be part of your whole system. And how do you recommend integrating it into your routine? Is this something that you should consider an extension of your skincare Or is it something that you can do whatever time works best for you? Does it matter if you're wearing sunscreen when you use it? No sunscreen because sunscreen has ingredients that can deflect Mm -hmm. the light. Don't use it over makeup because you're also, the light is not strong enough to get through that makeup. Um, 
do it when it's convenient for you. But remember that the green and blue and amber are going to wake you up. Mm. So doing it at night could disrupt your circadian rhythm and then that whole thing backfires. In contrast, the red LED light can make you really quiet and happy. <laughs> and it is that feeling of love. It's the dopamine. It releases dopamine. So it's I'm going to do that when my baby's yelling at me. Yeah. <laughs> People use red LED light for night lights, actually. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So when you're using the red LED light, expect to feel really calm. But if you're meant to go like sell a company, <laughs> you might be a little too mellow. So just pick and choose what you're doing and be mindful of it. But also try to make it easy on yourself. So I put my LED light on my elliptical. So I'll have like the device right on the elliptical. So for like 20 minutes, I'm at least getting that treatment done too. Like I said, we put it in front of our computer. People hang it on top of the computer. So it's sort of like where your Zoom camera would be and they're getting a treatment. Just make it as easy on yourself as possible. I love that double duty workout. Yeah, the mitochondria are just like, oh my God, give it to me. (laughs) You mentioned sunscreen, which anyone listening probably knows it's like one of my top yes. like subjects. Then we have a whole episode about that. And, you know, we might have another one. Who knows? You should. But I feel like a lot of people, even with sunscreen, there's this confusion and question around vitamin D and mm-hmm. am I going to be deficient? So does LED stimulate vitamin D? I love this question so much. No one has ever asked me that. The answer is not really, but there are some studies published that there are LED lights that emit UV. So in the UV range of 300, where you're in the UVB range or so, you can get vitamin D3 activation in a safer way than you would outside in the sun. So that's the yes part, but nobody really has those. So these LEDs that we're using for beauty in the visible light range are not including those nanometers. When I did look this up, we found a website for, this is where we get into that like marketing science. There was a website that looked credible that talked about how the red LED and infrared LED could help your vitamin D3. And they cited the study that I just cited, which is UV range. So they totally falsify the science (laughs) and then even put a reference in there. So somebody who's not us would be like, oh, okay, cool. That's like true. Yeah, because I feel like sometimes people see a reference and they're like, oh, well, they read a study, so it must be true. And it's like, you really have to check references. Yeah. And just believe. And even that seemed like a credible website, right? So when you're using ChatGPT or you're using (laughs) things, they're just combing the web and finding these websites and giving you information even from that. But it doesn't mean it's verifiable or true. And that goes back into on our website, we have a little quiz where you can talk about what skin concerns you have and it shows you on the LED light, which color would be right for you. And then we have an explanation of what the wavelength is and what that actually does. And so if that seems right for your needs, then you know you're doing the right thing. But I think vitamin D3 is best in your nutrition. I do now believe in supplements. I didn't until now when I'm very low on vitamin D and 
have osteopenia. So my new thing is hashtag menopause derm. I'm starting a new yeah, series. I've been that. <laughs> and I just think it's really important for us at every phase of our lives to understand how our bodies change and, and how our needs change and it can creep up on you really fast. I do believe in the supplements if necessary for that. And then that goes into the next kind of like, how do you know what supplements, what's safe, what's not safe, what's true? I take a lot of vitamin D, but yeah. Yeah, it's a whole, it That's a whole other episode for us to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. Okay, we're going to do a power round. We'll just do like a few quick questions just to end everything. Yeah. And we definitely have to have you back to talk about menopause term because Yay. I'm so glad that's getting more attention. It's like this idea of the skin changes and I feel like people become so frustrated because— you spend your whole life feeling like, okay, I finally yes. got control of my skin. I know what it does. And then it changes all over again. Yeah. But first question, we were just talking about sunscreen. So besides sunscreen, what do you think is the most important step in a skincare routine? And obviously this is your opinion. There's no right or wrong answer. Moisturization. Ah. So I have a mantra called PET, P-E-T. My pet mantra is how you should prioritize how you take care of your skin. So protect, Mm -hmm. enhance, and troubleshoot. So if you have limited time, limited resources, you should spend all that resource on protection your your skin. Mm -hmm. And that's just moisturization and sunscreen. Done. Then if you have the time or resources, enhance. Then that's where we get into active ingredients. I like antioxidants. I like microbiome normalizers. Other people might like acids and stuff. They're just too harsh for my skin. And then in troubleshoot, it's where you're like, whoa, I'm getting a red rash on my face. I'm getting pimples, but they might not be pimples. They might be keratosis pilaris. Like that's where you can't do it yourself. You really need to see a board certified dermatologist and make sure you have your diagnosis correct. And then you can figure out how to take care of your skin. I love it. Acronym. Yeah. That's so good. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. So for our listeners, if they're starting your skincare range or any skincare range at that, what product or SKU would you recommend that they start with first? For us, it's the serums. I think that we made serums in South Korea where they're obsessed with science and obsessed with texture and high action ingredients. And so ours, our biggest, most amazing ingredient is a great humectant, which is a moisturizer called Blue Green Algae. And it's a specialty type of Blue Green Algae. And it's the one that's photodynamic. Our serums are very rich, but thin. And I find a lot of people hate putting heavy products on their skin. Mm -hmm. They won't do it. There's a compliance problem if they feel like it's sticky or heavy. And so our serums are very light yet very moisturizing and they're packed with all the different things that you need, the antioxidants and peptides and all that stuff. So if you're going to just try one thing that's easy on your skin, it would be our serums. I love Korean skincare or like Korean formulated skincare because it's so focused on the skin barrier and hydrating the skin and like being very positive towards the skin. So you don't worry about people overdoing it or like over irritating their skin. Whereas I feel like some of the American beauty, we like definitely went through this phase where everyone's skin was just like over irritated. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's so aggressive. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah. Why don't you love your skin and be nice to your skin Mm -hmm. and be kind to your skin and you'll just like amplify all the things that are great about it. I love what you just said so much. And every time you say love, I'm like, her last name is love. (laughs) I do the same. I'm like, Dr. Love and I love. It's funny. People call me, strangers call me love all the time. And I'm like, do you know me? I'll be at Starbucks and they'll be like, what do you want, love? And I'm like, 
I think you say that to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, but it is my name. Like, yeah. no. But my husband is a cardiologist. So we all, we're, I like to say, like, you wouldn't scrub your heart. Like, you wouldn't, you know, put acid on your heart. Why would you do that on your skin? On my Instagram, my bio is, what's good for your heart is good for your skin. <gasps> oh, I love that. Yeah. But it's so true. Totally true. Yeah. Okay, next question. So, obviously, you are the go-to, like, who's who for aesthetic treatments in New York City. What area do you find that people neglect the most when they've been doing a skincare routine or an aesthetics routine? They're doing procedures, and they've maybe been doing something somewhere else, and they come to you. What's something you're like, okay, we have to add this? Oh, gosh. Okay. (laughs) Let's break that down. At first, I was thinking the neck. Because yes. I think people are so focused on their face. And even myself, I forget to moisturize my I neglect neck. my neck. I call it no man's land to my patient. <laughs> yes. So it's like you're in the shower and you're like, you do the whole body. And then you're like doing your skincare routine and you're focusing on your face. And then you're like, the oh, neck yeah. just. Yeah. <laughs> the neck. And it's also hard to get around. Yeah. You don't want to get it on your shirt. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say the neck. And then the other thing with respect to like fillers and stuff. I still think the temples are a place, like the upper face, the Mm -hmm. forehead and temples are such a beautiful place to elevate the brow and like do a little change there. So I think those are the two areas. Definitely. I feel like lower face kind of had this whole like PR moment last (laughs) year, but it's definitely the upper faces we're coming around. Yeah. Yeah. We had an episode earlier that we talked about skincare and filler. I call it the New York aesthetic where people just look very natural. They look very much like themselves. You're part of that. So now's the grand finale question. Yes. Of the episode. Most important question. I don't know if it's the most important, but it's the last (laughs) one. (laughs) How do you take care of your skin outside of skincare? I have a thing called preservation aging. And so for myself on my birthday, every single year, I take the day off from work and then I go to work as a patient. And Brilliant. I know <laughs> I get the JLo treatment, I call it, because you can just yes. imagine JLo has like somebody doing her cuticles and somebody doing her knees and somebody <laughs> doing her like left eyebrows. So I have it all planned out and I take a Valium to chill out and I get a Thermage, which is deep tissue tightening or Althera, which is deep tissue tightening of my face and neck. I get PRP in my scalp. I usually activate my skin first with a clear and brilliant on my scalp. I get a neuromodulator like Xeomin for my underarms so I don't sweat for like eight months. Oh, a Fraxel. I call it a Fraxel shower. So, <laughs> oh my God, I've never heard of that. Yes. <laughs> so Fraxel is a fractional laser. What that means is it pokes little holes throughout the skin so that you heal faster, but also you can shed away true sun damage. So you're shedding away not only the top part of the skin, so sunspots, but you're also shedding away some of the damaged collagen under the skin and potentially even some like little pre-cancers that you didn't even know existed. So I've had skin cancer on my face several times. I'm super sun damaged from being an athlete when I was little outside and having sunburn competitions with my brothers. So I'm trying to reverse all that damage. And so Fraxel helps reverse it about 22% every time you do it. And then, so I do my face, a 360 on my neck, so the back of the neck, front of the neck, chest, arms, hands. I don't think I've ever done legs. And then I wash a Jesner's peel right on top of it. And Jesner's peels are, he's like, what? (laughs) I just got your mouth to drop. (laughs) I love that. That was not a mic drop, it was a mouth drop. (laughs) 
And Jesner's is a combo peel, so a cocktail of sal acid, retinoic acid, resorcinol, which kind of bleaches out sunspots, and a couple of other things. So it's like a mild peel, but when you combine it on top of a Fraxel, you can see why I took a Valium at the beginning of this. <laughs> and I also have uh, laughing gas, Pronox, with me the whole day, too, because that is a very temporary painkiller, so... I had Morpheus 8 and I had Pronox and it was like, this is amazing. (laughs) The best. People just want to come back for Pronox. (laughs) Yeah. So I really believe in preservation aging. I think that no matter how good you are, you're going to accumulate some sun damage and aging and all that jazz. And so that's my recipe. I'm like, that's amazing. The Fraxel shower. I mean, that is like a coined a term. It's also really smart because I think people think that, like, as a dermatologist, you're getting things done all the time. But I'm like, I'm actually always working. You're, well, you work in a candy <laughs> store and you don't get to eat any yes, candy. Exactly. exactly. Well, you look uh, perfect. I wouldn't do anything. Oh, you're very sweet. Okay, last question. What's your arm routine? Your arms look amazing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Okay, so I do elliptical. And I tried to play tennis. I'm really bad, but I'm like a constant beginner. And I have to say, I watched YouTube and I watched Masterclass with Serena Williams talking about how to do a forehand. So if anyone wants a little boost on their tennis, I saw you in your tennis outfit. Yes, I do like tennis. I'm not. I'm going to start tennis lessons. Yes. We actually just, we talked about tennis in another episode briefly, but I'm not very good, but I do like to play. Oh, yeah. Come play with me. I'm terrible. It's so fun. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Okay. So unpredictable. My hitting partner. Yes, exactly. And women's tennis is very different from men's. So if you are taking tennis lessons, make sure they teach you the WTA approach because men have broader shoulders. So their power structure is up higher and you can hurt your shoulder. So women's is in our hips. Interesting. And that's what Serena showed me. Like you have to move your left hand, which is usually your non-hitting hand in a way. That allows your hips to swing. We and love then, Serena. Isn't she amazing? And her, her voice is so soft and really? sweet. I watched the documentary about her dad, and it's so impressive. Yeah. She says, my dad taught me. She uses her dad as her story. You're so sweet about the arms. Thank you. You know, I'm an old lady. I got to keep these muscles going. (laughs) I'm very envious. Anyone listening, if you like tennis, let us know if we should have a Beauty Curious podcast times Dr. Marmer, MM Skincare slash Fear tennis (laughs) event. Because that sounds like my dream event. event. (laughs) And you've already got the outfit. Yes. And my my outfit is already ready. This was so enjoyable. Thank you for taking the time. And we're also going to do a giveaway, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So check social for our giveaway details, guys. I think we're giving away a whole system. So it's like you won the lottery with the giveaway, but you have to listen to the podcast. If you're listening now, you did. So congratulations. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) And if you want, you could follow at MM Skincare and at Dr. Ellen Marmer. And we'll always update you with the latest on LED. You should definitely follow Dr. Marmer. I love all of the series that you do, especially with your husband. So exactly what we're saying in terms of, you know, sometimes cardiologists know one thing and sometimes dermatologists know one thing. Like when COVID happened and there was all this talk about like ACE inhibitors. So it's just really awesome. And she gives a lot of like educational content and fun content. Well, thanks. This is great to collaborate with you guys. And I can't wait to do another episode with you. Thanks, Dr. Marmer. Yeah, thank you for listening and have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thank you for spending time with us today. Please leave us a review if this topic helped you feel smarter, calmer, and more confident about your beauty decisions. You can engage with us more personally on Instagram. See you next episode.